Good to see you guys. I just got off a plane myself, and um, you know, it's interesting when you ask somebody throughout the week, how's your week going, the standard answer is busy, right? Everybody's busy, like our schedules are busy, and we were talking beforehand that there's, there's actually a difference between um, being busy and being hurried, I think. We're all busy, right? Busy is just part of our lives. If you live here in the U.S., you have a calendar. And on that calendar, you've got 25 work things and 13 family things, and that's just today before noon, right? And something's going to be left off, and you're, you're going to go, go, go. But the difference is when you're hurried, it means your heart's hurried and you're just not completely at peace and content. But I think that's what Jesus is talking about a lot with us, is that we are not just busy so many times, we're just hurried. We're just going all the time. And we are not giving ourselves a chance to just rest in what God has for us. And I hope and pray that that's what this morning is, is a, rem- is a reminder for you guys. That we're busy, but let's not be hurried today. Let's try not to be hurried this week. And my mom was an elementary music teacher. And when I was learning how to play piano, and by the way, it didn't really take well, so don't ever ask me to do it here on stage. Um, We'd come up to, I always wanted to rush through some of the rest. And every time we got to a rest, she'd say, just stop, because the music's so much sweeter because there's a rest in there. The music sounds good because you stopped, you paused, you, you rested. And I think it's the same thing for our lives. It's so much sweeter when we take that little pause, that rest. And I hope you get that not only here at Summit, you get that as part of Watermark, and you get that in your daily life with your family. So this morning, we are going to dive in but I hope that is part of you not being hurried and not thinking, I've got to get through all these chapters. We just blew through the whole New Testament this week. Did I memorize it all? Right? No, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about, are you finding some rest? Are you finding a place where you're not completely hurried when you're here? Because that's what this is about, right? That's about how God can learn to live in our hearts and we can learn to abide with him on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. So, Today we're going to have Derek come up and teach, which I'm super excited that you guys get a chance to hear from Derek today. The curriculum that you have in your hands, I would love, if there's anything you like about it, I'm going to gladly take credit for that, although I had nothing to do with it. Um, Derek won't tell you this, but it's actually, he's the one that sat down, went through the book, went through all the scripture, and lined this up for us. So, what you have in your hands, the reason that we're so well prepared for this seven to eight weeks is because Derek took the time to walk us through this. And so we absolutely wanted to make sure that you got a chance to hear from him directly. A couple of reminders. We still have the cards, or you should have the cards on your table for prayers. If you have been doing that, continue to do, do that. And the last thing, um, just a quick reminder of how many of you guys prayed for your wives this week? Got some hands? Good. I like to see. It. Hopefully, we had some transformational moments. I did make time um, this week to pray with my wife, and she had an exceptionally hard emotional weekend. And I heard from one of our friends just this week that my wife had shared with her. It's like really changed the fact that Jason sat down and prayed with me. And I would love to give myself a pat on the back because, yay, Jason! Here we go, go team. But the sad thing is, I should be doing this all the time. It was just a great reminder that God gave me that praying for my wife truly transformed our family. So um, let's say a prayer, not because we're just trying to do a bookend to open this up, but let's really get our hearts right, and then Derek will come up and uh, walk us through the Word. Father, we just thank you for this time that we get to come before you and just sit at your feet and not be hurried.
They're like Mary and Martha, it's easy to run around the room getting things ready and looking at our schedules and preparing to go to work and thinking about the 19 things we have to do today, but we just pray you give us a few minutes to breathe, rest, be in your arms, learn from you, learn how to keep our hearts still so that we can truly hear from the God of heaven and be reminded of why we're here, not only to give you glory, but to live out our purpose in such a way that makes this a better place and one that points people to Jesus. Just thank you for these men who are diving in. They are not just snorkeling. They want to scuba dive with you. They want to go deep. They want to know you fully, and they want to be more like you. And by that, I am encouraged. I am thankful, and I know that you're alive and well in this world. You care about us. Thank you for standing up on the cross. Remind us of what you've done on a daily basis so that we can be more like you. It's your name we pray. Amen. 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 Thanks, Jason. Uh, well, good morning, men. Good morning. Uh, excited to be here, and, and not just this morning, uh, but to be a part of what Watermark does is what's called the residency program, uh, which is basically a year of my life uh, devoted just to sitting and learning and contributing. And I've just been deeply encouraged uh, by not just what happens up here on stage, uh, not just what happens behind the scenes, but just to see men and men and men just coming and serving and being a part of the mission of Christ. And so I'm just thrilled to be here. I'm honored to be here, and, uh, and I'm looking forward to this morning. And so back in the 1960s, there was a man by the name of Bill Lear. Bill Lear, who is also, as you can tell, my glasses mentor. Him and Where's Waldo? Uh, but Bill's Lear created a little company called Lear Jets. And Lear Jets had this crazy idea to take these jets and to make them super fast to go across the country at super speeds so that you could have the super rich get where they need to super fast. And so in the 1960s, he developed this company. And by 1964, he had over 50 planes in the air. And yet, tragically and without warning, two of the planes just overnight fell and crashed on the ground. And so Bill brought all of the engineers he could find and all the mechanics he could find into to look at these planes and all the other planes that were now on the ground, grounded because they couldn't go up in the air. And all the mechanics began to realize that the only problem with these planes was that it only malfunctioned when it was in the air. And so there was nothing they could do about it on the ground. They didn't know what the problem was. And so Bill Lear, as he looked at his creation that was literally falling to the ground around him, He didn't move away from it, but rather he moved towards it. And Bill Lear decided that he was going to get into one of these planes and take it up to figure out where the problem was. And so that's what he did. One day he got into literally his creation. He began to bring it up higher and higher and higher and higher. And and around 20,000 feet, what happened is everything went black. The, The computers went down and he started spiraling down to the earth. And he's like, there's the problem. And in that moment, he finds the problem. He fixes the problem and he lands the plane safely on the ground. Saving the plane, saving his company, and saving his life. When Bill saw a problem, he didn't move away from it. But rather, when he saw the mess that was in front of him, he moved towards it. When his creation broke, he moved towards the mess. And the good news this morning is that that is what Jesus has done for us. 
that when Jesus' creation broke, he didn't move away from it, but rather he moved towards it. And we need that. We need the mission of the Messiah, which is to move towards the mess. We need that in our lives. I need that. As I've been sitting at the different tables these last couple of weeks, just kind of jumping around since I'm not assigned to one specific table, I've been jumping around and I've been hearing this constant theme in every single table that you men, you you want to be better dads. You want to be better husbands. You want to be better boyfriends. You want to be better men. You just want to be better. Like for so many of us, we have this ideal in our head that this picture of who we want to be in our head and we just desire to be there. And There's something in this, that's holding us back from being all that we were made to be. We have this ideal in our head and we're not there. And so we just try with all of our might and all of our effort to just to try to be better. No matter how hard we try, the mess just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. We need someone to come into our mess, to move into our mess. And so whether you've been a Christian in here for a long time, or whether you just stumbled through those doors, not really sure about this whole Jesus thing, the mission of the Messiah is to move into your mess. We all need someone to move into the mess of our lives, of our families, of our workplaces, of our relationships. We need someone to do that. And the good news is that's Christ. I was reminded of that truth this past weekend that we desperately need someone to move into the mess of this world because this world is messy. You read the newspaper, you look around this world and it's just messy and then you look in your own hearts and you realize there's something messy, there's something broken in here. And I was reminded of that this weekend as I was teaching at a camp called Pine Cove. And I was at that camp and this little kid just popped up next to me after one of the sessions. Like I was walking and he was just like, oh, there he is. Okay, hey, hey, buddy, you know. And he just came and he looked at me and the sweet little kid just goes, hey, I really enjoyed the message tonight. And I said, great, what did you like about it? And he said that part at the beginning when you were talking about sometimes feeling like a failure, he said, I started tearing up about that. I go, why'd you cry about that? And, And he looked at me and he goes, because my dad thinks I'm a failure. This little 12 year old kid as he looks into the face of his dad, the eyes that are supposed to have encouragement, that's supposed to have love, that's supposed to have compassion, that's supposed to, he looks into the face of his dad and he doesn't see that. He doesn't see the the eyes looking back at him as love. He looks back and he sees failure. That's a mess. That's an utter, utter mess that when this kid looks at his dad, this man, or this, this boy that's wearing man's clothing, looks at his little 12-year-old, and when he looks at him, all the kid can feel and feel and think is, I'm a mess? Something about it that's broken, that's messed up, and, and what that kid needs is what we all need. We need somebody to move into our mess, and that is the mission of the Messiah. The mission of the Messiah is to move into the mess. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning as we kind of do this flyover of the New Testament. As you've been reading in your book and in your packet, you've seen like this week was like all of the New Testament. And one of the major things of the entire New Testament is this very thing, that the Messiah, the mission of the Messiah was to move into the mess. And he does it in three different ways. He moves into the mess through his miracles through his message, and I love this, 
through his men. That the mission of the Messiah isn't to move away from the mess, but it's to move towards it. And he does it through his miracles, his message, and his men. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. And so first up, the mission of the Messiah is to move towards the mess through his miracles. I don't know if you've ever wondered why Jesus did the miracles he did. When I was growing up, I wasn't always sure. I kind of just thought he was having fun, you know. He sees a lot of people that are hungry because he went long teaching one day. And so he just goes, hey, that kid has a Lunchable. Give me that Lunchable. Watch this. You ready for this, guys? Bread, bread, bread. You know, I just, I didn't know why he did it. I just thought he was having fun. But as I grew up and I began to really seriously read the New Testament, I realized that every single time Jesus does a miracle, it's him moving into a mess. Every single time he does a miracle, he's moving into a mess. And so he moves into physical messes. He makes the blind see, the deaf hear, the crippled walk. He moves into social messes. He'll associate himself with the outcast, the abused, the unwanted. He'll move into emotional messes. He'll comfort widows, weep with the grieving, reconcile relationships. And ultimately, he'll move into spiritual messes. He'll forgive, he'll redeem, he'll restore. And all the while, whether it's said specifically or it's said implicitly, There's this word that keeps coming up about why Jesus is doing all these things. And it's the word compassion. That Jesus had compassion towards these people and so he moved towards them. Literally that word compassion in the Greek means that every single thing inside of you is bursting and must move forward. That when Jesus saw the hurt and he saw the broken and he saw the messed up and he saw the outcasted, he goes, everything inside of me is bursting forth and I have to move forward. I have to do something. When he sees the brokenness around him, everything inside of him moves forward and he moves forward and yes, he comforts and he guides and he heals, but he also puts his arm around them. But then with this widow, for instance, who lost her son, She would have been alone, destitute. It says that he had compassion on her. And because he had compassion on her, he raises her son to life. Everything inside of him moved forward because the mission of the Messiah was to move towards the mess and he did it by his miracles. But he didn't just do it by his miracles. He also did it by his message. The mission of the Messiah was to move towards the mess, and yes, by his miracles, but also by his message. Every single thing that Jesus says, all, every message he gives is centered on this one central idea that he's there to move towards the mess. And so three times throughout scripture, Jesus actually tells you very straightforward why he came to the earth. He came to do a lot of stuff, but three times he'll actually say the phrase, the son of man this, the son of man that, the son of man came to do this. And each time it's about him moving into the mess. And so when he sees the mess around him, he's gonna speak into the mess. He's gonna seek the mess. And then he's gonna save the mess. And so you see it in a world that's full of lies. Jesus speaks into the mess. He speaks into these lies by offering truth. You see it in John 18, 37. When Jesus says, for this purpose I was born and for this purpose I came into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. In a world that's full of lies, deceit, deception, Jesus said, the reason I came is to move into that. 
Not to see lies and kind of retreat from it. Go, well, it's none of my business. No, when he saw the lies of this world, he goes, I'm going to move towards those lies and offer truth. I'm going to move towards that mess and I'm going to speak into it. And he doesn't just speak into it, he seeks after it. It says in Luke 19, 10, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. So in a world that's full of lies, he speaks into it. In a world that's full of lost, he seeks them. He doesn't move away. He moves towards it. He moves towards the mess. And in a world that's full of death and despair, Jesus will give his life to save it. It says in Mark 10, 45, for the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so what you see is that when Jesus sees a mess, he doesn't move away from it, he moves towards it. And when he sees lies, he speaks into it. When he sees deception and corruption, he speaks into that mess. When he sees just brokenness around him, when he sees a world that's full of lost and hurt and broken people, he moves towards it and he seeks them. And then when he sees a world that is destined to die, he goes, I will on your behalf. You see, on the cross, the miracles of Jesus and the messages of Jesus collide when the mess of the world falls on him. And on that cross, all the junk and filth of your life, all the mess that you're in or have been in or will be in, fell on him. And he died He suffered, he died, and when he was buried, it was to bury that mess in the ground. And then he performed his greatest miracle. He rose, conquering what you could not conquer, which is death itself. And when he did that, he offered life that you might live in him alone. The mission of the Messiah was to move into the mess of this world and your world through his miracles, and through his message. But even more than that, the mission of the Messiah is to move into the world through his men. Through his men. Where do I get that? John 20, 21 says this. Jesus said to them again, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you as the Father has sent me even so, I'm sending you. As the Father has sent me, Jesus, I am now sending you. And so as the Father has sent me to be a light into darkness, as the Father has sent me to bring hope to the hurting, as the Father has sent me to breathe life to the dead, as the Father has sent me to recreate what has been broken by the sin and fall of this world, Jesus just said in John twenty twenty one, so I'm sending you. I'm sending you to be a light into darkness. I'm sending you to bring hope to the hurting. I'm sending you to speak life to death. I'm sending you to recreate by my power, not your power, but to recreate what's been broken by sin and death and the fall. The mission of the Messiah is to move towards the mess and he does it through men. He does it through us. So the Messiah is calling you to take part in his mission, 
to move into the mess in your families, in your workspace, in your homes, with your kids, and in your own lives. The great theologian C.S. Lewis picked up on this idea that Jesus is calling us to take part in this mission in this world. And whenever he became a Christian, he actually read the New Testament for the first time and he took it seriously. And he said this in his book, Mere Christianity. He said, one of the things that surprised me when I first read the New Testament seriously was that it talked so much about a dark power in the universe, a mighty evil spirit who held the power over death and disease and sin. Enemy-occupied territory. He said, that is what this world is. Christianity is the story about how the rightful king has landed. You might even say he landed in disguise. And yet now he is calling us to take part in the great campaign of sabotage. C.S. Lewis saw that as he read through the New Testament that Jesus, the Messiah, is calling us to take part in his mission to move into the mess to bring light into the darkness, to bring hope to the hurting, to recreate what's been broken. I love what Jesus does when he claims that he's the light of the world. I love that part. And yet in Matthew 6, Jesus is gonna turn it on us. He says, I'm the light of the world. He says, you're the light of the world. How does that work? Jesus is the sun. We're the moon. Jesus radiates the glory of God. And just like the moon reflects the sun, we reflect the glory of Christ in our world and in our lives. So how do you do it? How do you link up with him on this mission to move into the mess? That's two ways. First, you apply the mission of the Messiah to yourself. Every morning when you wake up, you're reminding yourself of who you are in Christ. You see, every single morning these last couple of weeks, I've been waking up and I just feel like there's this compass in my heart and it's just going every single direction. Just like Jason talked about earlier that we just constantly are in rush. We're constantly hurrying about in our days and we just don't have what is true north in our heart. And so even this morning when I woke up way before dawn, you know, when I woke up, my alarm went off. I just felt like this compass in my heart was just spinning around. And I just prayed, God, would you give me what is true north? Would you apply this message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to my heart, that I'm loved, that I'm forgiven, that I'm redeemed, that I'm restored, that I'm not accepted by based on what I do today. I'm not accepted by whether or not y'all like me. I'm not accepted whether or not my kids do good in sports. I'm not accepted whether or not I'm able to get the right job, to get the right money, to get the right wife, to get the right house, to have the right kids, to get the kids out of the house, you know? I'm not accepted by that. I'm accepted by who Christ is and what he thinks of me. You apply the message of the Messiah to yourself, and then you look for the message in your world in your homes, in your families, at your workplace. And just like Christ is moving into the mess, the spirit of Christ that is in you is wanting to pull you into that. You look for those places and you move into them. And when you do that, you'll see the miraculous happen in your world. I saw that this weekend. You see, after this little kid came up to me and I talked to him and he was just talking about how he always felt like a failure, I got him linked up with some older godly guys in the faith that could kind of keep running with him after I was gone. 
And like literally five minutes later, this other kid walks up to me and says, hey, I enjoyed your message tonight. I said, well, that seems to be a running theme at this point. Thank you. I said, what do you enjoy about it? For about 20 minutes, me and this kid just sat down and talked. And he just unpacked the mess of his situation. But he had this different countenance about him. He didn't seem down or depressed, but he was telling me this really awful story about how when he was younger, his dad left him. And because he was the oldest in the family, he always thought that it was kind of his fault. Little five-year-old. Dad leaves, somehow it's my fault. Mom's always sad. Mom's always depressed. That must be on me. That's a mess. You know, this kid didn't sound like he was in a mess. And as I heard his story unfold, I realized that there was a man in his life that came into his mess. A mentor. An older guy in the faith that just started spending time with him. Started doing life with him. Started taking him to the movies. Started teaching him Bible studies. And this kid, as he's sitting there, this little eighth grader, he goes, look, we give, we give him a hard time. I give him a hard time. But it's because I love him. And I love him because I know he loves me. This kid's world was a mess. Dad left him. Felt like it was his fault. Mom sat all the time. Until a man came into his story and brought light into the darkness. And the good news about this kid's story is that though his dad left him, his heavenly father didn't. And when his heavenly father saw the mess in his story, he moved towards him and he did it through a man, an earthly spiritual father. And because of that, this kid's story has been miraculously changed. And that's what God desires for all of us, to go into the darkness and bring light. And so last story. There was a movie out a few years back called The Never-Ending Story. It was about two hours. It's false advertisement. But never-ending story. It's about this kid, and at the beginning of the story, this kid runs into a bookstore, and he sees this really old man reading a really old book. And so this kid looks at this old man, and he goes, hey, um, what book you got there? The old man goes, you wouldn't be interested in this book. A young kid goes, what are you talking about? I love books. The old man goes, yeah, what type of books do you like? Peter Pan, Robinson Crusoe, Treasure Island, stuff like that. Yeah, those books are safe. He goes, this book right here, this book isn't safe. And right when that happens, the man gets a call in the back until he leaves. And that young boy does what all of us would do in that moment. He jacks the book and runs. And he goes and he reads this story about a world that's trapped in darkness. A great darkness is moving throughout the land, destroying everything in its path. The world is a mess. And throughout the whole story, everyone is looking for somebody to speak this certain name. Because if somebody would speak this certain name, this certain name would have the power to bring light into this darkness, to bring hope into this hurting, to recreate what's been broken by this darkness and by this mess. And the tragedy is nobody knows the name. And so they're desperately trying to find someone that would speak the name, that would bring light into this darkness. And at the very end, 
as the world is covered in darkness, all the people are saying somebody must speak the name, and yet the world is covering up in darkness. And as they're almost going to be at their wits end, as they're almost destroyed, they finally look up and they see the little boy reading the book. And this little boy in this moment realizes this book isn't safe. But rather, this book is calling him to take part in the story, to be a part of the mission that he can speak the name that only he knows. And he does. And when he does, the dark turns to light. The hurt turns to healing. And what has been broken is recreated because of the name. This book isn't safe. This book isn't safe. It's calling out to you. It's calling out to you to take part of the story, to join in on the mission because you have been given a name that is above every other name and you have been given a message that has the power to bring light into darkness, to bring hope into the hurting and to recreate what has been broken. The mission of the Messiah was to move into the mess and he does it by his miracles. He does it by his message and he does it by his men. And to hold on to the name that is above every other name and link your life up to the Messiah, the true man, and follow your Messiah as he moves into the mess. Let me pray for us. Father, I'm grateful for these men. I'm grateful that you choose to use us. Now, Father, you have come in the person you've sent your son in the person of Jesus Christ who moved into the mess and now you're calling us to do so as well. So, Father, I pray that you would bring to mind right now a mess for each one of these individuals and you would give them the courage and the power to move into that mess, to apply the message of the Messiah to themselves and then move into that mess with the same message of hope, of healing, of redemption. Lord, be with these men right now as they talk amongst their tables and just discuss your goodness and your kindness, what they learned this week, where they struggled. Lord, we love you, and we ask these things through your spirit and in your son's name. Amen. There's two questions I would love you all to chat about. What message do you currently see yourself, see around you, and how can you move into the mess? Love you guys. Hi, guys. want to make sure we're being good stewards of your time. So for those of us that need to get off the work and have the other things to do today. Um, I thought it was a great word this morning by Derek, reminding us of what, what messes are in our lives and what we have to step into. And if you guys were here at Watermark last Sunday, I really felt that this was a continuation of what Kyle was talking about, um, about having community around us to take, help us take an authentic, real look at the messes in our lives. And as we sat at the table talking this morning um, about the messes, and we just literally talked about the dozens of messes that are sitting around us. I think the um, overriding central part of all of this is, is we're a mess, right? The, the common denominator in all of our problems is us. 
When you heard Derek talk about the two kids that came up to him while he was at camp, did you notice both of those had to do with the dads? It is us, gentlemen. We're the mess, which is why we're here. Right? We are here because we desperately need a savior in our lives, and we completely need other men to pour into us so we don't just continue down this mess and make it worse and worse and worse. And so I'm so excited that there are other gentlemen in my life and your life and all of our lives. And if you don't have someone, don't leave this study for the next eight weeks and walk out of here and try to be a space cowboy. It will not go well for your soul. Right? And, you know, when you have those messes and you were talking to, um, as we, we chatted at our table, our wives all at our table, they all have a distinct ability to point out the messes in our lives. Right? So when that happens, you have, the, you have a couple opportunities here. One is you can respond by being defensive, right? Pushing back with sarcasm, which also will not go well for your soul. Or you can listen and hear what God's trying to tell us through our spouses, through our kids, and help us hone in on what the real issue is so that we can become more like Jesus. Listen, guys, this is... There's two things. You get two opportunities. You can either start your engines right now or you can prepare your caskets, right? You get one of those two things today. Either start your engines and get out there and start living out loud for Jesus, working through the mess one step at a time. Ephesians 6, the full armor of God. There are three pieces that you get to wear all the time, right? In terms of speaking in truth, the breastplate of righteousness and the feet. Speak in truth every day. Walk out in righteousness, have the righteousness, and walk it out. That's where we start. That's how we start this mess. We just walk into this thing faithfully with other gentlemen on our side helping us figure this out. We let, and we let God show up and do what God does, which is transform us from the inside out. We can't fix ourselves. That's the great lie. The great lie is we think we can. We can't. And as Derek reminded us, as Kyle reminded us on Sunday, because we can't fix ourselves, a Savior came for us to take our spot so that we could walk alongside him. And guess what we have to be? We have to be heirs. Heirs mean we get to be royalty. We get to sit at the right hand of the Father and be his representative here. That rocks the casbah. That's cool. When I talk to my sons and my, and my daughter, I tell them, they get the, they, they're royalty. They're nothing less than that. And with Christ in our lives, we are completely saved from ourselves. So we can walk into this mess totally content that God's going to show up, and he's going to show out, and he's going to change people's lives. And guess what? We get to participate in that. And that's exciting. So this week, go out there in confidence, prayerfully, knowing that God is not just going to show up, he's going to show off. And when we walk out there, and we don't try to do this by our own power, but we do this by God's power, he does what we end with every week, and we're going to end with this week. He's not just moving molehills, he wants to go out there, and he wants you guys to move mountains. So this, let's do that this week. Let's go out there and move mountains. Love you guys. We'll see you guys next week.